millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Explaining History podcast, and I'm continuing today uh, a series I've been doing on Palestine from 1945 to 1948. Um, if you've been listening recently, you'll know that I've done uh, some podcasts on David Ben-Gurion and Chaim Weizmann and the problems that the British made for themselves in the final years of the Palestine Mandate. In this podcast, I want to look at the problems that the Arabs faced after the end of the Second World War, and how those problems had been mounting throughout the 1920s and 1930s, and how they had changed as a result of the Arab revolt uh, against the British and against mass Jewish immigration into Palestine in the mid mid to late 1930s. Previously, we'd looked at Jewish political and paramilitary leadership in the mandate from the 1930s onwards, and the role of the Jewish agency. It was um, headed by Ben-Gurion. And now it's important to have a look at Arab politics, which were far less unified and um, far more problematic as far as the Arabs were concerned. Despite the fact that the British uh, often had sympathies towards the Arabs, and many of the administrators in Palestine and military figures in Palestine um, thought that um, perhaps the Arabs should have been given a a fairer deal. The fact was that uh, Jews coming to Palestine had greater political influence with the British due to the activities of people like Chaim Weizmann and the organisation of Ben-Gurion. There wasn't really an Arab equivalent. Um, There were some more wealthy and influential families, such as the Al-Husseini family, from uh, from whom uh, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem had uh, emerged. But the tier below the the wealthier Arab landowners in Palestine were really um, poor um, tenants, peasants or even uh, landless peasants um, who were as occupied with the problems of day-to-day survival uh, as they were with anxieties over Jewish immigration. 
One of the problems after 1917 was that Palestine had been carved out of the Ottoman Empire. The Ottomans had administrated it uh, as a province and they had granted power to uh, local elites. Once the British wound up running uh, the Palestinian mandate, those rules were kind of negated and instead of those links of patronage uh, that had existed um, between local elites and central Ottoman politics in Turkey, the local elites, um, such as the Husseinis, had no further significant cachet with the British, and the rules that had sustained um, many of them, unofficial political rules that had sustained power in Arab hands in Palestine, uh, were swept away when the Ottoman Empire fell. And because the uh, landowning families of Palestine, the landowning Arab families of Palestine, and the poor peasants that they uh, held sway over, um, were of relatively minor stature uh, in comparative terms. It was difficult to replicate these power relations or uh, attempt to rebuild them. What the British found when they occupied Palestine and after the League of Nations uh, mandate was established, uh, which was uh, held under British supervision, was that uh, essentially a feudal uh, world existed. There were towns and cities, obviously, which had been built by the Ottomans and during the various periods of Tanzimat and the Young Turk era had been in enhanced and developed with railways and that sort of thing. But for the most part, the Arabs existed in uh, a way of life which they had known for many centuries. It was feudal way of life, and there had been ultimately little change uh, amongst them. Zionism, a modern nationalist ideology um, with its liberal and reactionary facets to it, came with all the aspects of modernity, all the institutions and ideas of modernity uh, that were necessary. The Zionists began to establish, for example, universities, um, centres of learning and schools, they began to establish trade unions, political parties, um, legal structures pertaining to land ownership, and they began to buy land. In essence, what the Zionists brought with them, and what uh, Jewish immigration brought with it to Palestine after 1917, were the, the key ideas of modernity. And it was the um, march of modernity that was particularly frightening to Arabs because it came with it, it brought with it irresistible and unstoppable change. And the fact that Jews had institutions like the Jewish Agency and trade unions meant that Jewish rights were more successfully protected than those of Arabs. The access that Jewish people had to healthcare and medicine was far superior uh, than that of the Arabs. Um, when Jewish workers were working on building sites in places like Tel Aviv, for example, 
and their Arab contemporaries were working on the same site, because the Jews were unionised, they got paid better. So what this shows is that when a modern state was introduced into the mandate or the kind of trappings of modernity uh, under the auspices of the British and to some extent uh, the Jews as well, by understanding the workings of modernity and the institutions that help modern life regulate itself and regulate the rights of individuals and promote the rights of individuals, the Jews had something of a head start. And the issue of land ownership was going to be a particularly crucial one. One of the really sore points in Arab nationalism in Palestine was the transference of land from Arabs to Jews. However, it was invariably Arabs that sold the land to Jewish settlers. In Tom Segev's really excellent book, One Palestine Complete, he talks about a complex cultural politics of the land amongst Zionists and about how the idea of working the land, and this was tied up with the notion of kibbutzes and that sort of thing, um, would reforge the Jewish character. As we know, the popular anti-Semitic tropes within Europe about Jews being moneylenders or merchants in precious stones or that kind of thing often depicted Jewish men as being sort of weak and dissolute and rather wretched characters and there being nothing particularly manly about them. Um, and the Zionists argued that uh, generations, decades, perhaps in centuries of anti-Semitism in Europe had left the Jewish man particularly a rather servile figure and that land ownership and working the land as a frontier settler would really reforge, um, would really reforge the Jewish character. And it's very interesting that there are so many parallels in the 20th century uh, with this idea. There are obviously uh, fascist um, and Stalinist ideas about the reforging of character, the remaking of the individual through manual work, through, through working the land. And quite why there's this profusion of these sorts of ideas, I'm not entirely clear, but it might be something to do with uh, the advance of modernity itself and the, uh, the kind of the modernist idea that uh, the individual uh, can be reforged, redeveloped and re, uh, reshaped in, in, in all, sorts of, uh, all sorts of ways. In a way, it's a profoundly utopian idea, and the first half of the 20th century is nothing if not a period where uh, different kinds of utopias are considered and attempted to be put into action, although with uh, horrendous results. The point here is that for the first few decades of Jewish immigration into Palestine, there was something of a frontier spirit um, that came with Jewish migrants in the 1920s and 30s. Many of these migrants were from uh, Eastern Europe, particularly Poland. And there was a belief that this new virgin territory could be transformed through hard work and diligence and effort. And the often tribal um, nature of the Arab peoples and the um, nomadic nature of some of the Arab peoples, the Bedouin, um, met with a great deal of scorn from uh, some uh, Jewish migrants 
who thought that it, it represented an, an, an idleness, that if there wasn't this um, hands-on approach to building new farms and building settlements and towns and all the infrastructure that had to go with them, roads, schools, hospitals, um, and that kind of thing, then surely the Arabs didn't either want the land or weren't uh, likely to value the land, or perhaps on some level weren't entitled to the land. And the idea that land ownership meant doing something with the land, developing it so that it was more valuable, um, was um, inherent within the, the new settler project. Relations between Arabs and Jews before the British arrived were relatively peaceable. Uh, the Ottomans had about as little time for both groups and were unconcerned about the politics of either the Jews or the Arabs uh, as long as they were relatively quiet and paid their taxes and didn't cause any trouble. Palestine for them was uh, something of a backwater. It was a small and relatively unimportant part of the empire. It was obviously where there was a convergence of three religions, uh, but they thought comparatively little uh, about it. It was sparsely populated and certainly didn't generate the sorts of revenues um, for the Ottoman coffers. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. That would have made it uh, particularly uh, a place of, of great importance. Of course, the one place that was really significant about um, the mandate was Jerusalem and the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is built on the Temple of the Mount. However, it was low numbers of um, Jews in Palestine uh, that meant that there was low levels of friction between them and the Arabs. They lived relatively separate lives, um, Jews were generally more urban, uh, the Arabs generally more rural, and they had you know, the odd dispute, but nothing of any great significance. Um, they were both living in comparable levels of poverty. Uh, they kept a clear of um, politics uh, by and large, and there were about 50,000 Jews uh, in Palestine in 1917 when the, the British arrived. 
That was a, a tenth of the population. The dramatic increase in Jewish immigration as a result, firstly, of the Balfour Declaration, and secondly, of the declaration of the mandate um, when that was established, led to, firstly, far-sighted Arab leaders um, predicting significant conflict between the two communities. Ben-Gurion said words to the effect of that there could be no compromise between the Arabs and the Jews, and Ben-Gurion himself was far from being one of the more um, inflexible, intransigent figures within the Zionist movement. Ben-Gurion did hope for some kind of state where there could be an accommodation between Arabs and Jews. In Victor Sebastian's book, uh, 1946, he quotes um, Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery, um, well, when Montgomery was a younger general in Palestine in the 1930s, he said, The Jew murders the Arab, and the Arabs murder the Jews. This is what is going on in Palestine now, and it will go on for another 50 years in all probability. Unfortunately, that turned out to be something of an underestimate on Montgomery's part. Nazism and a number of related um, anti-Semitic, authoritarian, nationalist regimes developing across Eastern Europe in countries such as Poland and Romania saw a flood of um, refugees and migrants into Palestine to settle. In a decade, a quarter of a million came between 1929 and 1939. And the pressure on the land begins to dramatically increase. Um, the Arab tenant farmers were very often thrown off their land to accommodate new Jewish settlers. The land was sold to Jewish settlers fair and square, um, and when it changed hands, the settlers simply viewed uh, the Arabs who had been there uh, as tenant farmers for generations as squatters and got rid of them. New Jewish settlements became sites of tension between Jews and Arabs, and sites of rioting and, in some cases, murders of Jewish settlers, though the Jewish settlers didn't simply take this lying down and arm themselves and fought back. One settler, Joseph Trempledore, has become an iconic figure in the story of the Palestine Mandate and the story of the creation of the State of Israel and is seen in revered terms as a result. Trampledore was a Russian Jew who had come to Palestine in 1911. He'd been a decorated war hero in the uh, Russian army during the Russo-Japanese War. And he came as a Zionist uh, in 1911 and fought with the British in Jewish Legion against the Germans and the Ottoman Empire. He was killed at Tel Hai, a Jewish settlement in Galilee, which, uh, by the time of Trumpledore's death, had fallen under the control of the French mandate uh, of Syria. Um, the Arabs at the time were far more concerned about fighting the brutal French occupation of Syria. But in 1920, Tel Hai came under attack uh, from hundreds of Shiite Arab uh, farmers and uh, 
paramilitaries who were loyal to the king of Syria, who was none other than uh, Faisal of Arabia, who had been Prince Faisal, son of Sharif Hussein of Mecca, and who went on later, after the French had turfed him out of Syria, to become King Faisal of Iraq. The irony for the Jews of Tel Hai is that the Arabs believed that the French had taken shelter at the settlement, and they weren't initially there to attack the Jews at all. Um, Champeldor, um took command as a former military man, and there is some confusion as to what occurred, that there was some um, breakdown in communications. Anyway, a firefight ensues in which five Jews and seven Arabs are killed, and Trempledor, uh was shot in the stomach, and he later became a really kind of a, a martyr for the Zionist cause. And the, the kind of the misremembering of this history has been quite uh, expedient in a way and romanticised. Uh, and the idea that it was a, a colossal misunderstanding um, doesn't really help um, sort of narratives of martyrdom and persecution and, and all that sort of thing. And uh, the kind of the Alamo spirit of standing up against uh, an overwhelming enemy. Uh, all this sort of romantic stuff that nations love to create in order to sort of sell their national myths and uh, make themselves uh, a kind of a compelling story. Often land could be uh, owned by Arabs who didn't live in Palestine. There would have been uh, Arabs living all over Arabia that owned bits of Palestine, and then they would sell the land uh, to Zionist um, organisations. Um, and organisations that had enough collective money to buy large tracts of land. And the Arabs who didn't live in Palestine uh, cared very little for the people that lived on the land that they owned. Some of the more important uh, political and social leaders of the Palestinian Arab community actually sold land to Zionists as well. And this was a, a useful uh, tool by the Zionists to show when there were dignitaries, Arab dignitaries, uh, condemning Jewish immigration, precisely how hypocritical that they had been. In 1936, the uh, Arabs rebel against the British, and they assume that the British have already sold uh, the Arabs down the river and that they have a close relationship uh, with the Jews. And the relationship with, uh, between the British and uh, Jewish Zionists is quite often complex and antagonistic, uh, riven with mutual distrust. Uh, the British are as liable to be anti-Semitic in their dealings with the Jews as they are anti-Arab and anti-Islamic in their dealings with the Arabs. And these twin prejudices uh, on the part of the British, particularly ordinary British soldiers, uh, are inflamed by the Arab revolt. Essentially, there are many uh, British soldiers who ask the question, why are we taking bullets from these wretched Arabs in the interests of these accursed Jews? At first, the Arab revolt focuses uh, on the Jews, and the uh, Jews come under a heavy attack, mainly because Jews are easier to hit in uh, small rural settlements. Um, but suddenly, in 1936, uh, British policemen 
and soldiers come into attack as well, and some are brutally murdered. Uh, Montgomery uh, takes the attitude that pouring troops into Palestine will do the trick, especially if the most brutal tactics are used. Uh, Montgomery learned a thing or two from his violent suppression of Irish nationalism. In County Cork, um, towards the end of the uh, Irish War of Independence, uh, he wrote about that. Personally, my whole attention was given to defeating the rebels, but it never bothered me a bit how many houses were burnt. I think I regarded all civilians as shinners, and I never had any dealings with any of them. My own view is that to win a war of this sort, you must be ruthless. Oliver Cromwell, or the Germans, would have settled it in a very short time. Nowadays, public opinion precludes such methods. The nation would never allow it, and politicians would lose their jobs if they sanctioned it. That being so, I consider that Lloyd George was right in what he did. If we had gone in on, uh, gone on, we could probably have squashed rebellion as a temporary measure, but it would have broken out again like an ulcer uh, the moment we removed our troops. I think rebels would probably have refused battles and hidden their arms until we had gone. That's him talking about Ireland, and so it's hardly surprising that when it comes to dealing with uh, the Arabs, he acts in a rather similar manner. Ambushes of guerrilla forces and the mass internment and arrest of Arab men, uh, of which 9,000 were finally put behind bars uh, during the insurgency. It was only the fact that the Second World War was on the horizon towards the insurgency's end uh, that meant that the British had to uh, give the Arabs some kind of gesture of contrition. The uh, Chamberlain government changed tack uh, when it realised that uh, the most sensitive part of the British Empire, from uh, Egypt through to uh, Persia, uh, which was a de facto colony mid-war, was populated by Muslim people, both Arabs and Persians, and this was a, a disaster possibly waiting to happen if there was mass anti-British feeling throughout this uh, area, um, as there was indeed in Egypt. It was put succinctly by Malcolm MacDonald, son of Ramsay, um, who said, If we must defend one side, let us offend the Jews rather than the Arabs. And as a result, Jewish immigration was dramatically decreased and reduced down to 12,500 a year. And there was no further land sales to Jewish organisations. And this, of course, set the scene for a Jewish rebellion against British rule. OK, so we're going to finish there. Um, I hope you found it useful. And uh, do remember to give us a good thumbs up on the iTunes page and check us out on Patreon. And if you're going back to school or college in the next few weeks and you need advice on anything relating to modern history, always drop us a line, happy to help. And you can find the Explaining History uh, Facebook page uh, full of uh, useful, useful resources and the like. Anyway, look forward to speaking to you all soon. All the best. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.